Thank you for joining us for this episode in SIFMA's podcast series. I'm Ken Benson, SIFMA's president and CEO. I'm joined today by my colleague, Chris Killian, SIFMA Managing Director, Securitization and Credit, for a conversation on the transition away from LIBOR and, in particular, the need for federal legislation to aid that transition. SIFMA has been engaged on this issue for seven years since the Alternative Reference Rate Committee, or ARC, began working on a replacement for LIBOR in the United States. It's a priority for both the industry and the official sector. Chris, can you give us the current state of play? Sure, Ken. So to start, LIBOR is referenced uh, in approximately $223 trillion of financial products. And it's a very shaky foundation because LIBOR is intended to measure uh, interbank lending costs, but those transactions upon which LIBOR is supposed to be based have dwindled in numbers over the years as financial markets and bank funding models have evolved. Um, And much of today's uh, LIBOR submissions is derived from estimates of transactions and not actual transactions. Um, So global regulators saw the problem uh, with placing the foundation for global financial markets on this sort of construct uh, nearly 10 years ago. And they began to examine how more robust alternative reference rates could be identified or developed to replace LIBOR. And, you know, since then, um, and really ramping up in in 2017, um, the key message from the regulatory community has been and continues to be that LIBOR isn't suitable and that market participants must transition to alternative reference rates. The ARC, uh, which SIFMA is a member of, identified SOFR as the preferred alternative to LIBOR. In contrast to LIBOR, SOFR is fully transaction-based, referencing the previous day's activity in the repurchase markets, which are very liquid and very active, um, such that SOFR is based on approximately a trillion dollars of uh, daily transactions to come from a wide range of market participants, and SOFR is administered and published by the New York Fed. So what's clear is that LIBOR is going away. There's there's no doubt about that. Uh, In December, there were finalizations of proposals from the administrator of LIBOR, and the FCA in the UK, which is its regulator, that uh, most, li- most non-US dollar LIBOR tenors are, will cease publication on December 31st of this year. The uh, main US dollar LIBOR tenors are going to cease on June 30th, 2023. Um, and you know, it's important to note, two uh, less used US dollar LIBOR tenors will also cease at the end of this year, but the real, the real deadline in the US is June 2023. So, Ken, here's a question for you. Of the $223 trillion in outstanding LIBOR transactions, the ARC estimated that 67% of that would roll off by June 2023, which leaves about $74 trillion in LIBOR exposure that ends beyond June 2023. What happens to that exposure? Well, so about $68 trillion of that is comprised of swaps, futures, and related transactions. And many, but not all, of those transactions can be amended and addressed by industry-wide protocols, uh, such as the ISDA protocol, or by actions by uh, clearinghouses to convert the outstanding positions. But the remaining uh, $6 trillion or so of exposures are comprised of various types of cash products, bonds, notes, loans, asset-backed securities, and other extensions of credit. The ARC estimates that about $1.9 trillion of this is comprised of bonds and securitizations, which commonly do not have fallback provisions. 
many of these uh, products were not designed at the time of issuance with a permanent cessation of LIBOR in mind. And in many cases, these products are difficult or effectively impossible to amend due to regulatory constraints or practical issues such as identifying all of the holders of a widely distributed security. There are uh, tens of thousands of floating rate securitizations and corporate bond transactions, and some of those contracts uh, don't have fallbacks. More commonly, the fallback provisions would result in a floating rate bond becoming a fixed rate bond, or other contracts fall back to the judgment of an issuer, administrator, or other party. In other words, from a practical standpoint, the existing fallbacks aren't effective. The outcome uh, of a permanent cessation of LIBOR may frequently not be in line with the expectations of the issuers, investors, or customers, and may lead to vast amounts of litigation that ties up courts for years and causes major disruptions in financial markets and with investor portfolios. So the ARC has taken uh, steps to address this in New York State, uh, where many uh, financial contracts, certainly not all, are uh, governed by New York State law. Uh, Chris, do you want to talk about uh, what was done there? Sure. So the legacy problem was was clear to the ARC. And so the ARC created a working group to look at options and develop recommendations for how to deal with these uh, legacy transactions that, that we like to call tough legacy transactions. In March of 2021, the ARC published a proposal for a statutory mechanism to address these ineffective tough legacy transaction fallback provisions. Uh, and what the legislation would do is it would create a statutory safe harbor from litigation and replace LIBOR-based fallbacks with those that are recommended by the ARC, the Federal Reserve, or the New York Fed, and these would be based on SOFR. Uh, the goals of the approach are manifold. One is to provide certainty of outcomes to contract participants. Another is to make sure that those outcomes are equal uh, and fair across all of the market participants. And, and finally, ultimately, uh, you know, this is being done to promote the liquidity and stability of financial markets. Um, given that many financial contracts are governed by New York state law, the ARC initially proposed this legislation in the state of New York. SIFMA supported it, uh, supported the publication of the language and advocated for its passage in New York. And just a couple weeks ago, the New York Assembly and Senate passed legislation that's in line with the ARC's recommendation on a nearly unanimous vote, and the governor signed the bill. So, Ken, while the New York state legislation is a positive outcome and something we are very happy to see, we believe there's more to be done at the federal level. So can you talk about the reasons for why that is? Yeah, sure, Chris. I mean, while, I, as you said, the New York legislation is, is quite useful uh, in regards to New York governed law uh, you know, instruments or contracts, it's not a full solution uh, for many of the instruments or contracts that are not, uh, that are not governed by uh, New York law or uh, addressing issues, uh, such federal issues as the Trust Indenture Act, which is a key uh, factor in this as well. Only uh, federal legislation can uh, uh, apply a standard uniformly across all the states, and certainly can only uh, federal legislation can affect the Trust Indenture Act. A uniform federal law can promote the benefits provided by New York uh, State to uh, contract certainty, fairness, and uh, equality in outcomes and avoidance of litigation and market liquidity across the nation. Uh, you know, while certainly it's, it's conceivable that uh, 
you know, 49 other states plus uh, other territories and jurisdictions like the District of Columbia could attempt to enact similar legislation to New York, it's not really practical uh, and, 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 and would take, would take a, a, a tremendous amount of time, um, definitely exceeding uh, the period of time when LIBOR will cease to exist. Um, so really, federal law is, 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 is appropriate. And, and I might add, given that the, that the transition away from LIBOR is a, is a federal public policy uh, initiative and priority, it just underscores the need for federal legislation in and of itself. Uh, in, in addition, as I talked about, the Trust Indenture Act is a federal statute, uh, and you know the baseline of of, of, of a trust of, of a trust indenture under Trust Indenture Act requires unanimous consent to amend uh, and, and, and to amend the document. In this case, the interest rate on the product. Um, so uh, uh, unless I might add, unless unless in the original contract uh, uh, the, at, the, at that original point that had been changed, but in most cases, most of these contracts uh, rely on sort of the baseline uh, unanimous uh, uh, consent, and that's not really practical uh, because uh, uh, you know even if you could find all of the holders and get them to uh, uh, to opine uh, or take a position, um, uh, you're not guaranteed that you would get 100%. So federal legislation would provide narrow targeted relief that would allow uh, contracts uh, to transition to more uh, to a more robust reference rates without you know, having to deal, deal with the really impossible hurdle of meeting unanimous consent requirements. And uh, it could also ensure, federal legislation could also ensure that there are not adverse tax or other consequences to issuers, holders, or consumers. In some, federal legislation would offer a consistent outcome for all stakeholders and parties, and they would provide certainty uh, about the outcome of the transition away from LIBOR. And you know, of course, lastly, uh, federal legislation uh, would uh, help to avoid litigation gridlock, whether it's whether it's it's trustees seeking guidance from a court where uh, it's not clear, uh, uh, or uh, uh, or or uh, various parties uh, uh, litigating uh, uh, over over. Uh, whatever fallback mechanism would be chosen without that without that certainty and that's important not just to avoid uh, unnecessary litigation but also uh, to ensure market stability and 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 liquidity so you know chris obviously a lot of work's been done over really the past 7 years since the formation of the arc uh and 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 then fast forward you know 2017 with the establishment of sofer and now uh you know addressing these uh, uh legacy contracts what uh what do you see next uh as we uh uh, uh you know, in, in, in terms of, of this, uh, uh, what's the status of potential federal legislation? Well, there was a hearing today, April 15th, uh, in a subcommittee of the House Financial Services Committee, where legislation that Representative Brad Sherman, who's from California, uh, was, was published and discussed. Um, and the hearing, uh, the witnesses at the hearing were from uh, federal regulators like the Fed and, and the OCC and the SEC and FHFA and Treasury. Um, and, you know, I think uh, the, the hearing, I, I think, was positive and, and regulators expressed agreement with the need for federal legislation. And, you know, the, that legislation hopefully will expediently move through the uh, congressional process uh, because, you know, despite the fact that 
you know, the, the, the main U.S. dollar LIBOR tenors will be around until 2023, it takes a fair amount of time uh, to implement changes. Um, and so, you know, that I think in our, in, our, in our mind, that legislation is something that, you know, needs to happen, you know, this year uh, as soon as it can. And that gives everybody ample time to change documents, up, update systems, you know, be prepared to deal with different reference rates and, and all of those things that people need to do operationally and technically. Great. Thank you, Chris. So more to come. And uh, I want to thank uh, you for participating today and also thank uh, our listeners uh, uh, for uh, tuning in uh, to hear our views on on this issue involving federal legislation and the transition away from LIBOR. To learn more about this issue and SIFMA and our various work to promote effective and resilient capital markets, please visit us at www.sifma.org. And thank you again for joining us. Yes.